Welcome to The Secret Life of Dietitians. I'm Laura Poland. And I'm Amy Keller. There has been a lot of nutrition in the news the last few weeks. Yes. Um, you know, if you're, it's, it's, it's just not just in newspapers or online, but it's even hitting late night TV. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and... and there's yeah just a couple really interesting things in the news that Amy's picked up on one I've picked up on another one and we are going to talk about it tonight and share with you our thoughts and feelings remind you a little bit about how to look at these articles and why it's important to understand the headlines behind them right and I I think there's an impression that nutrition scientists and even dietitians change their mind a lot. Yes. And, you know, it's all even back to those days of like, is it butter? Is it margarine? Are eggs good for you? Are they bad for you? Is red wine curing your heart disease or is it giving you cancer? Right. Right. I mean, there's a lot of misinformation or not even misinformation, but just almost like conflicting information. Yeah. And it can be really hard as a person it can be hard as a dietitian, yes. but it can be really hard as, as a consumer to decide what's important, what's not, mm -hmm. um, what's a scary headline that generates a lot of clickbait mm -hmm. versus what may be actually the truth and where does that particular study that you're reading about in that article fall in the, in the totality of their research and you know just like we talk about whole diet all the time research is like this too it's not just one article i yeah. mean i can't think of an article that has right. changed my practice you know just a single article so right you know i think we want to go through tonight when you see these these headlines what does it mean yeah maybe not as much as you think it does right and, and then just remind you of what you want to be looking at when you are reading articles about nutrition and maybe how to dig a little deeper if you even feel like doing that. So stay with us. Okay. Well, welcome back. We've uh, both been really busy. Yes. Um, you've traveled. I was... Mm-hmm. I got a vacation I, in there. <laughs> I was coveting your pictures on Facebook. <laughs> oh, we had such a good time. Yes, yeah. we we got to go to a national park, and it was so fun. So nice. nice. Beautiful. So. And I went and spoke uh, in Pittsburgh alongside <laughs> two people from the FDA. And if you are familiar with this podcast or familiar with me, you know my um, expertise is in gluten, and I so I got to talk about a particular part of the, the uh, gluten-free labeling rule. Yeah, to people who you know know a lot about it because they're part of how it got written. So it's intimidating to say the least. That's <laughs> the best way to describe it. But I'm sure you did amazing, and I wish I could have heard it. And uh, I'm sure it was great. So oh, thank you. I hope, <laughs> I hope we got the point across. Um, but let's just recap. Um, it's been a few weeks since we've had a pod. Yeah. So if you want to just kind of recap what our yeah. last podcast was about. I encourage you to, if you haven't listened to it, listen to it after yep. you've listened to this one, of course. Right. Um, so tell us about our last podcast and our last guest. Yeah, last time we talked, we actually had a guest with us. Her name was Christy Ruth. She's a dietitian. 
she kind of has a side hustle of a recipe blog. And so we talked about that and I think it was really kind of interesting to talk to her about how overwhelming it is to see the recipes that are online and then how do you find recipes that are good and that you know your family will like and uh she's got a blog her blog is called carrots and cookies which we loved the name of that and if you haven't listened to it go back and listen to it because it is important to understand that recipes get ranked and in order to be found you have to include certain things that as dietitians might not want to be saying necessarily but we want you to find our recipes so we've got a really great tip in there on how to find recipes that you can trust a little bit more when you're searching so i think you'll find that very interesting Yes, and that really leads well into tonight because you and I were talking before we came on about some of these headlines that we see, and you said, I don't even want to click on them. I know. And it gives them clicks. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Uh, So that's kind of, yeah, what happened with this article that came across for me, and it was the, the headline is, Eating Processed Foods is Hurting Your Brain study says even quote two cookies can affect health this was the title you know and uh it makes me cry a little bit because it's scary it is i yeah i see something like that as a dietitian i don't even want to click on it i don't care to click on it but when it said there was a study involved i kind of felt like i wanted to click i needed to click on it to find out because Lord knows people that I work with or somebody that I know who knows I'm a dietitian will ask me about this, right? Tell Tell me a little bit about the study, at least how it was reported. Yeah. Maybe in this article. So basically what they were saying is in relationship to, this was a reporter who was attending a Alzheimer's Association International Conference, okay? And they had seen a presentation about this. It was talking about how foods such as, at one point they talked about ultra-processed uh, foods, which I'm like, well, what does that mean? You know, and how it causes significant decrease in brain function. That's how it was presented in the first paragraph. They're talking about, you know, and he's got in quotes here, just 100 calories of processed foods can affect your physical health. So that's, or, so that's two cookies. So um, that's where they came up with the two cookies. Right? Yes. Was that quote? Yes. Yeah. I wonder if the person they quoted now regrets saying. <laughs> right. And I wonder, yeah. So, right? yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder if that person now thinks, gosh, I wish they hadn't turned that into a headline. Right. Maybe well, see, that's, that's not the, what I meant. That's the thing. Guess. Exactly. That's why when you see th- things like this, you just, as a dietitian, I want to click on it. I want to see the study. I want to know, like, was this taken out of context? Right. And, you know, what what was going on there. I read through this pretty quickly. Really, all I was really trying to see was where's the link to this study. I had to go back. Was it even in the article? No. 
no. So I had to go back and read the entire thing really closely. And basically what they were saying is uh, this is a study. It has not been published and it's not even been peer reviewed. So hold that thought. Yes. We're going to talk more well, about why that's important. Right. And why that is a critical missing piece. <laughs> right. Exactly. What may have occurred at this event. Right. But so it, I'll uh, tell you about my article. Yes. Yes. Let's hear so about it. I don't know if y'all been paying attention to Skittles and the fact that Mars, which is the company that makes Skittles, um, is being sued. It's a class action lawsuit. And the article that I saw about this said, the, 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 the title just takes the cake for me. <laughs> Taste the toxin. Uh, Skittles unfit for human consumption lawsuit claims. This is in a major newspaper, major worldwide newspaper. And I, I read this and it literally was just, essentially, it looks like somebody took the lawsuit itself, like the paperwork from it. Yeah. And created an article out of it. Okay. Um, well, there wasn't yeah. <laughs> really any information, uh, you know, any uh, quotes or anything like that from anybody. It was like they just took the framework of the lawsuit and wrote an article about it. Yeah. And the the question they have here is there is an ingredient in Skittles uh, that are sold in the United States called titanium dioxide, which may or may not have effects on our genetics, on our DNA. Mm -hmm. And this particular ingredient was supposed to be phased out in 2016. Well, that Mars announced they would phase this ingredient out in 2016. They have not done so. Mm -hmm. uh, the European Food Safety Authority has banned this ingredient but not for the reason you might think. And we'll talk about that here in a second. Okay. But this particular class action lawsuit is from a, a resident of California who is suing Mars because they didn't do what they were supposed to or what they said they would do, which was remove this particular ingredient. Mm -hmm. um, and that this is a known human toxin, <laughs> a known toxin. Uh -huh. And that this is not fit for human consumption and is, you know, again, quite dangerous is what is implied in this particular class action lawsuit. So hold that thought okay. as well. But I thought it would be really important tonight to talk about when we see this conflicting nutrition information or these sensationalized nutrition in, um, headlines, what does this mean? And how do you explain this stuff to your clients so i'd right. be interested just in your perspective you know what's your elevator speech when somebody says oh i read that article or i saw that on the news what do you what do you tell people right well most of the time i try to stay up on it so i've actually read the article so i know kind of i have a little bit of understanding but mostly i tell my clients if, if I do understand that, and then I can say, well, that was a study, but it actually, it was a very small study, or it, you know, I try to explain to them the the flaws in it. And I know you've said this, and it makes a lot of sense to also tell people that one study does not mean that I will change my, you know, I usually say, well, the evidence-based research currently does not tell me I need to tell you not to consume two cookies or whatever it is, you know. I think your point about that 
the article or the article that you read mm -hmm. um, referring to a presentation and, uh, and a study that has not yet been published or right. peer-reviewed is really important. Right. Um, we're in the era of what they call preprints. There's a lot of information out there, um, and, and we've really seen it with COVID a lot, with yeah. sort of like the next miracle cure for COVID or the next thing that you should be taking. And if you've noticed, if you've been following COVID at all, especially the way I have, you've noticed a lot of the stuff that they've talked about they talk about it for a couple months because there's maybe a couple of possible articles that indicate there may be some benefit, but mm -hmm. when they do more studies, they find there is no benefit. So, right. you know, anything, from, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, anything from my mega doses of vitamins to just any other pills that, you know, you might've heard, oh, I heard that might work for COVID. Well, here we are two years later, right. over two years later, and a lot of that stuff hasn't panned out and why? Right. Right. Well, and here's the thing, as a dietitian reading this article about the cookies, that's that's a huge implication. And it's a huge like it's just something that as a dietitian, I feel like, OK, I need to stay up on this. I need to see what is the study, how extensive was it? And is it something that I do need to be like, oh, well, maybe we need to really talk about this more or, you know, but I felt like the things in the article, the more I read it, it wasn't, to me, they weren't defining things, like they were using terms that aren't defined and trying to define them. And it just felt like really, it was just hard to pull out what is really the facts here and what is just this person who happened to be at the presentation who was listening to it and talking about this and, you know... I don't know. It just, those are the things that I feel like when I read it, it's scary. And I know when my clients read it, it's very scary. And right. they think, oh my gosh, I should never eat cookies again. I should never eat processed food again. And, but then how are they interpreting processed food? Right. right. So it does define it a little bit in the article, but you know, I find when I hear that term from my client, I avoid all processed foods or something like that. My ears perk up and say, well, can you explain that a little bit more to me? What do you mean by processed foods? Because it isn't a defined term. And right. so that's where it's like we think we're all on the same page, but we're not right. sometimes. And research is ongoing. And, right. You know I think that's one thing maybe that the pandemic has taught us is we've seen science in real time and mm -hmm. it's messy mm -hmm. and it is contradictory and nutrition is no different. Nutrition is one of those things and nutrition, frankly, is, is pretty difficult to research for many reasons. Yes, I've so, said that before too. <laughs> right, if we're talking about you know, asking people what they ate for the last 10 years. I don't know. How about you? Right. Could you say right. that? Right. Could you say? And a lot of these yeah. studies are like that. where you are mm -hmm. relying on people's self-recall and people are also notoriously bad historians about their mm -hmm. diet. I couldn't tell you, you know, everything I ate yesterday or even today. Right. Right. And that's, 
that's the question that typically comes up for me in studies like this that identify and say this causes this issue is, well, did they really look at the diet quality? What was the diet quality index? Did they compare that? And like you said, it's still not in a perfect thing because you don't recall very well, you know, like generally what you're doing. And some people I think don't even know what is a serving of vegetables? How do I know how many servings of vegetables I've had? So there's a lot of flaws. Yes. I think it's important to always think about the context of the stories as well. I'm, I'm bothered by the two cookies things because a, that doesn't define anything for me. Is that two cookies a day, one day, and all of a sudden you have a higher risk of dementia or is it two cookies over your adult life or your whole life Mm -hmm. or 10 years? Give me more information here. Right. If that hundred calories, maybe it's not just cookies. Maybe it's something else is that if you eat a hundred extra calories of breakfast cereal, does that do the same thing? I mean, there's just a lot of missing information. Right. Like I said, I'm assuming that the person who gave that quote may now, I don't know. I don't want to speak for that person, but if it was right. me, I would be like, Oh yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> right. Please don't, please don't make that your headline. That's not what I meant. All right. they were giving was an example of what 100 calories looked like. Right. Not that two cookies is causing dementia. So I, the, the Harvard School of Public Health puts out, and I will put this link in our show notes, mm-hmm. of how to read, read nutrition news. And I really like the seven questions that they ask. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is, how does this given study fit into the whole body of research about this topic. Now, there certainly have been many, many, many studies about diet and our brains. Yeah. Right. And we also have many studies about processed foods and our diet and our health and our brains. Mm -hmm. So how does this particular study fit into that body of evidence? Right. And that's really that's really hard to say because a it's not really been published. Right. <laughs> so I don't know how it fits into right. that. Right. <laughs> I that's that's what was frustrating about this is I can't even say, you know, I think they gave some details information about 10,000 middle-aged and adult and older adults. It's a good number of sample size, right? 10,000 is a pretty good number. Well, and the article said it looked at the, you know, the people that were getting 20% of their daily calories from ultra-processed foods, had a higher risk. Well, how did they determine, A, that was occurring, B, was that something where they followed them over time or were they asking Mm -hmm. them about what they were eating? Right. Did they control for other factors? Did they control for, you know, and without, A, a link to the study, well, because there is no study to link to. Yeah. You know, it's really hard to tell. I, I do agree with you. The sample size is lovely. That's a good sample size of right. 10,000 people. It's better than 10, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But what we don't have is at this point is information on how they collected their data. Right. How they determined that the people were eating this. How they defined a processed food. Is right. is bread a processed food? Is, right. 
and is, is, are we talking about, you know, Cheetos? Right. Are we talking right. about candy? And there was a conflict even within the information, like what the, what was actually said at the conference was white bread. And this guy later said and identified and just said it as bread. Like, right. and so depending on what you read and, and what you saw in the article, you might, I saw that bread and I was like, oh my gosh, they're saying and identifying all breads. And I was, I had to look back and, and I dig, dug a little deeper and found another article actually that the person actually said white bread. They did not say bread uh, right. should be avoided. So, you know, that's where, yes, there's a lot of questions about that and just, Overall, the idea that always, and I know I've said this, like, I feel like a broken record is, does that account for people who are getting that, these people that are eating ultra-processed foods, mm -hmm. but it, if they're eating ultra-processed foods and meeting their goal for fruits, vegetables, and whole grains, do you see the same outcome? I feel like that. I feel like it might have been lumped together. But I, like you said, I just don't know because I couldn't get to the study to look right. and see what their right. methods were. Did they, you know, control for other factors? And so th then know. it just makes you mad that it came out yet, like before it was even peer reviewed. And so what and that's that means, another, that's another good thing to talk about what peer review is. Right. I participated in peer review, uh, both as an author and as a reviewer. I don't know if you've done either of those, but peer yeah. review is an interesting process. Going through peer review as an author is incredibly stressful Yeah. because you send this article in and this study and that you've been working on for months, years, right. whatever. And you're sending it in to your peers. Now, people, these are not necessarily people that you know, right. but these are people that are of equivalent, maybe in education, experience. Right. And they review the article, the study, and they come back to you then with things that they believe could be done better. Mm -hmm. That may, that maybe some of the conclusions that you've drawn, maybe they don't feel are uh, appropriate. Right. Uh, or they'll they, just ask it, questions and say, right. Can right. you explain a little bit more how you came to this conclusion? Right. And they make right. you think a little bit more about what you've right. written. Right. And then they decide through these peer-reviewed journals whether they're going to accept your paper as you've written it or with revisions or say that this particular study is not worth publishing. And, and believe me, these are very stressful um, sometimes <laughs> information. And sometimes you get stuff back from reviewers and it does make your article better. Sometimes you get back from reviewers and it's helpful to just kind of have their input to say, yes, this is good information. We need this information out there. Mm -hmm. um, again, I've gotten both kinds of comments as an author. Now, as a reviewer, like I said, my job is to really look at that study and look at the methodology, look at, you know, and often I don't know who has written the article, mm -hmm. which is very helpful because you don't want to say, oh, I know that author, you know, right. um, you want to say, oh, I don't know who wrote this. Right. I don't know what, you know, I, I know what journal it's trying to get into, mm -hmm. but the peer review process is really, really important right? because I have a feeling I, you know, I don't know where this study is in that process, mm -hmm. that there may be some, and it may not be the study itself. It may just be the article that was written about the study that is so, you know, kind of 
icky. Um, right. Because right, they're just trying to get people to click on their article, read their article. Right. That's the name of the game. Right. Maybe <laughs> if you really did kind of drill down to the study, maybe it is well done. Right. Um, we don't have that information. Right. So, you know, I think that, as you said, sample size is important. Mm -hmm. Where does this fit in in terms of how you would advise clients? I'm guessing that you would not advise clients to stop eating cookies immediately. No, no. Right. Like anything, I I would not change my stance on that, which is it's okay to eat a cookie. It's okay. But let's, let's talk about, for me, I'm talking about what to include in your diet. Mm -hmm. uh, we know fruits, vegetables, whole grains help decrease inflammation. And mm -hmm. yeah, we... The way I look at it is we have to live our lives and I would be very sad if I wasn't ever able to eat a cookie. And right. so I will eat a cookie and I, will eat. I, I recommend that to my clients based on how right. they feel and their comfort level. But let's make sure we have a basic healthy diet first. Right. And maybe you'll include discussions about ultra processed foods if you can define that with your clients. You know, um, maybe maybe it is, you know process box dinner mixes that mm -hmm. you would consider an ultra processed food or a microwave dinner that you would consider an ultra processed food but maybe you as a dietitian don't consider bread or rice to be ultra processed foods you know right. i don't think that so you know maybe you and as a dietitian would say okay well maybe these are the foods that you want to keep to a minimum in your, in your diet right and Let's talk about portion size. Right, right, yeah. Include more fruits and vegetables, more whole grains. And then there is a place for these things in your diet, but they shouldn't be the mainstay of your diet. Correct, correct. Right. Yep. I also like this about another idea with studies, and this is something that we do see frequently is animal studies or right. in vitro studies. That's the other one. Mm -hmm. If you see studies that are done on animals or in vitro, beware Mm -hmm. um, they are very interesting studies, but they are not necessarily applicable to humans. Right. And in often in situations, you know, things are very interesting in animal models and maybe even, you know, coming up with cures for diseases that we've been looking for. But when they try these particular cures on people, yeah. it doesn't work quite so well. Right. Yeah. One thing, if you're old like me, and maybe you remember this too, about um, back in the day, the the pink sugar, sweet and low, uh -huh. through uh, a ban uh, right. for many years, mm -hmm. and or cancer warning, I guess, on packaging because there was a thought that it would cause bladder cancer, mm -hmm. and it turns out, I think we've talked about this before, it turns out that this was only in rats. This was not in people. Right. And so when you were hearing about sweet and low and bladder cancer, that was only if you were a male rat, those guys should lay off. Right. But, <laughs> but the rest of us can probably, probably consume sweet and low in moderate amounts as right. part of our total daily diet without causing bladder cancer. Just because, again, we gave bladder cancer to male rats doesn't mean we give bladder cancer to males. Right. Humans, you know, or right. to female humans. And we just don't, we don't do that. Right. With the sweet and love, it doesn't occur. And I also think it's really good to talk about disease endpoints. So, you know, we talk about studies that talk about heart disease, 
or diabetes. And those things are really hard to measure over time because unless you're going to follow somebody for in a study for 50, 60, 70 years, you may never see them get heart disease or cancer. Right, right. But what you might see is high cholesterol or high blood sugar Uh or, you know, if you're trying to study osteoporosis, so thinning bones, you know, you may not be following that person when they actually have their fracture or get osteoporosis, but you can follow their scores on their bone density scans and you can follow their cholesterol levels. Mm -hmm. And even though those disease points are really interesting, those endpoints are, they are not necessarily going to mean that person's going to have a heart attack just because they've had high cholesterol or that person's going to sustain a fracture because they have osteoporosis. That just isn't right. And, and that's the thing with the study of the, the article that we were talking about with the Alzheimer's, you know, they were looking at older adults at middle aged and older adults already. And they said they were looking over they had a far faster decline in cognitive performance over the span of six to 10 years. Mm -hmm. So it's like, but what, you know, maybe we need to know what their diet was earlier. You know what I mean? Like how, because as we age, we need less calories. So, you know, if you're consuming a hundred calories of processed foods, as you get older, that's a more significant impact on your diet than it might be when you're younger. There's so many questions that you have. And then, yeah, it doesn't necessarily, again, this is everything in here to your point. I think where you were going is this is a, it's correlation. It's not causation. And they do admit that in this also. Right. That's the other thing. And I, I'm glad you brought up correlation and causation because so many nutrition studies, and this is why nutrition studies are frankly kind of frustrating. Yeah. Um, because a lot of nutritional studies, because it's not possible to follow people for, you know, 50, 60 years, it's also, you know, a situation where um, sometimes randomized control trials, which are the mm-hmm. gold standard of research, mm-hmm. are not particularly feasible in a lot of situations where, you know, people don't want to have to live in a lab and mm-hmm. be fed only a certain kind of food for X number of weeks, months, or years. Right. They, you know, people are free living. We all have the right to go to the grocery store and buy what we want to buy. Even if you're in a study, there is no guarantee that you're absolutely being completely faithful in it, you know. Um, so randomized control trials are also really expensive. You know, if you're in a in some of these studies, they're providing you with food. And again, that's not cheap, especially mm-hmm. if they have to have a lot of participants. So often we rely on people's recall. But we also have studies that where they follow people over maybe a 10 year period or, you know, even sometimes short of that five year period or a 10 year period. We've, maybe if you've read you know, a lot of the research that we read about nutrition comes out of the nurses health study. Um, which has been many, many years, been decades that they mm-hmm. followed some of these folks. This is very inf- interesting information that yes. comes out of that. Yeah. But all that is is correlational. Mm-hmm. One thing happened and another thing happened. It does not mean that one caused the other. Right. And it does not mean that, you know, if you just do this thing, you can prevent this thing. Right. Right. Because there is no way to really do that. If there's, you know, if you could say, well, if you just eat fish twice a week, you will never have a heart attack. Right. 
Yeah, we can't what we guarantee can see that. in the nutrition research is that people who eat fish twice weekly are less likely to have heart disease. Right. But does that mean just by eating fish twice a week, you're going to fix your heart and never have a heart attack? Absolutely not. Unfortunately, no. Yeah. Right. Right. That's just not how nutrition research works. So That's when right. you see it kind of simplified in the media, it's a good time to kind of take a step back and say, huh, I wonder really if two cookies is going to cause me to develop Alzheimer's dementia, Mm -hmm. or I'm going to have cognitive decline because I'm eating, you know, a a processed food or two every day. Right. Is that really going to happen? Mm -hmm. Or is that a situation where, you know, and, and then, you know, we also see in these studies too, where things they'll say you know people have a twice as much of a risk of something happening Mm -hmm. or three times as much of a risk of something happening and that's something called relative risk and not absolute risk so Mm -hmm. if you know one in a thousand people get whatever disease and they say twice as many people will get that disease if they do this behavior that means two out of every thousand people right get this disease it's not a huge even though twice as many sounds really scary yeah you have to look at what was the absolute risk to begin with so again if it's one in a thousand or one in ten thousand and now it's you know twice as many people that's right. only two in ten thousand right yeah there's a lot of these studies that talk when you see these like twice as many or 50 percent as many or even a hundred percent as many that mm-hmm. sounds like super super scary Exactly. Yes. And that's what they do when they publish these articles is they are sensationalizing what is happening. And that's the name of the game there. Right. So, you know, again, I think it's really important to kind of take a step back, take a breath, Mm -hmm. take a look and see if there's a link to the study in the particular article that you're reading. I think that's a great tip because if it, they're purporting on a, a proper study, there'll be a link. Exactly. For you to click on. Yes. To read it. And I would encourage you, you know, if you've ever read a research study, there's something called an abstract, which is kind of like a little summary paragraph mm-hmm. that's on the front page of every research article. If you can, and this is hard to do, even for a dietitian, this is hard to do, try to read more than that if you can. Right. If it's available to you. The other thing to remember right. is a lot of research studies are behind pay- paywalls. Right. And that's not fair. But that is the way that, you know, this is how the world goes around these days. Yeah. Right. A lot of things are behind paywalls. So that is tough as well. But Mm -hmm. if you can get a little bit more information by reading the study, at least looking at the number of participants, that can be really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, And then you can look for other reliable resources online. And this is going to bring me back to Skittles. Okay. Yes. But we need to get back to that. Resources online. And, you know, whether that's, you know, talking with your, reading your favorite dietitian blog. Mm -hmm. For me, it's Abby Langer. Uh (laughs) I mean, she's she's a little crass, but I just love her. And she will break down these studies Mm. into something that I can understand. And then she'll, of course, she's because she's a good journalist and good blogger. Uh She will link. Right. To, the, to the actual study, which is helpful. And she will, you know, so finding those reliable resources online, being very careful when you're reading articles, who's the organization that maybe is publishing this article. There are some organizations that are funded by industry. There are some organizations and, and industry like 
you know, like people say, oh, you know, sugar or whatever, but there's also an organic food industry. Right. You know, so be aware of that. It's not just Right. Pop companies or what's the bias you know, that's out right. there everybody right. has you know if you're a lot of these organizations are being funded when you see these and articles. that was another red flag in my article if you read down to the bottom it's talking about and they threw in links to the dirty dozen yeah and and nutrition articles that are done well articles that are done well like you know through the popular media often are pretty boring they're not particularly like right. flashy. You had sent me another one about guidelines focus on preventing weight gain and obesity in middle-aged women. Mm-hmm. Well, that's no fun. That's not a fun like page to read. No, you know, but that, that excited me. Right, it <laughs> but... excited you because it really told the story, right, of what we're worried about. But it didn't have some horrible. It wasn't flashy, and it was. It didn't make the late night rounds of. No, it didn't. It didn't. <laughs> right. You know, I'm post a link to that study as well because okay. it's a well done article that just mm-hmm. pretty much states the facts right. and lets you as the reader try to make up your mind based on what you're reading. The other thing right. about that study that we're gonna we'll post in our show links, mm-hmm. it's also published. Right. And, and <laughs> it's already published. Journal you can and you know link to all it. good right. things. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All good things. Exactly. Um, and like I said, finding those reliable resources. Like I said, Abby Langer, I love her. Mm-hmm. I think she's a great dietitian. The other one, when you get into these things that are kind of controversial about ingredients and things you might see on TikTok or other social media accounts, maybe my 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 guilty pleasure every day is watching <laughs> the latest video from the Food Science Babe. My favorite, hands down. I love watching her. Very frequently, I will put that on my story. I will put her videos on to my stories and, and post it there if you follow me. Because so, she's amazing and she does a really good job of breaking down so you understand those ingredients and why it's so hard to figure out that we may have, you know, what we consider a processed food we shouldn't really be afraid of. So, yeah. Right. And if you read a little deeper, she actually has an article in Ag Daily, which she writes for, that really breaks down this whole issue with titanium Mm -hmm. dioxide and Skittles. And I think once you read this article, um, I won't spoil it too much for you, but basically the article that I talked about earlier was very much just a very brief synopsis of what's actually occurring. Mm. And she really explains what risk titanium dioxide plays oh, cool. um, and also the reason that skittles said in 2016 that they were going on mars said they were going to get rid of this particular ingredient which has to do with the color of the skittles that their their effort was when when companies often get rid of particular ingredients it's not because they think that they're dangerous or toxic but that there is a, a feeling amongst consumers they want natural ingredients and natural food coloring is not right. this particular chemical additive yeah but that doesn't make it toxic right it just makes it <laughs> what they felt like the consumers wanted mm-hmm. and so it's a really good article i encourage you to spend a little time reading it okay um, spoiler alert and this is in this article i thought was very interesting consumers really wanted you know no artificial colors in tricks cereal 
Mm-hmm. Well, they tried that. Right. And nobody liked they didn't it. Like it. Right. <laughs> so they went back. Right. The original formulation. Turns out people like the brightly colored cereals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that would be the case, I think, with Skittles, if they mm-hmm. were made with natural food colorings, they would not nearly be as appealing. Right. That right. happens a lot, a lot more than we realize. Uh, I know that uh, Campbell's Soup did a reformulation of their soups and reduced the sodium and people revolted. It's interesting, there's some research that's going on that maybe they just, if they didn't say anything and they didn't call it out on the label, maybe people wouldn't have worried, like, would they have noticed it or not? Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes we, we're pretty savvy about our food, though. <laughs> right. Like, something's I think, wrong. I think, I think consumers, you know, like the idea of natural. They like the idea yes. of no chemicals in their food. Well, right. that's something that's not really possible to avoid chemicals or everything mm-hmm. you know right we're all we're all made up of chemicals right water is a chemical toxic, right yes know? and uh, the other thing to remember whenever you read about things like toxins in our food is the dose makes the poison right um then that's an old adage that you'll hear a lot in scientific circles mm-hmm. you know it is possible to eat too many carrots and make yourself sick mm-hmm. it is possible and deadly to drink too much water we saw that in those water challenges years ago. People died. Right. Because they knew we're all like, oh, water is healthy. Well, in only certain amounts. Right. Yes. You can kill yourself with water accidentally. Right. So this is something that, you know, when you think about these chemicals in our food. And the you hear us say. <laughs> amounts. Right. That are in items. Not that they're toxic, again, but just the minuscule amounts. Mm-hmm. Is something to be aware of. So when you see taste the toxin, right. take a step back, take a breath. You know, right. if you don't want to eat Skittles, that's like your prerogative, not right. to eat Skittles. Right. You know, if you don't think they're good for you and if you don't, but if you enjoy them and you don't want to feel bad about eating them, that's right. okay too. Right. <laughs> I'm not telling you, I'm not the dietitian telling you to eat Skittles. That's not, right. that's not the thing, you know, but if you enjoy Skittles and they're part of your total diet that incur, you know, I know they're brightly colored that has lots of other brightly colored foods like fruits and vegetables. Right. Then okay, you know, right. We don't have to be feel bad about it. I think we spend a lot of time as consumers mm-hmm. and dietitians breaking down that good food, bad food thing. Yes, 100%. I think that's what perked my interest. I know how that struggle that most of my clients are having and that internal thought that they have that it's a good food or a bad food. And it was just playing into that. And there's nothing that makes my stomach clench more that, you know, like, oh, what was said in this article, you know, and it just made me matter and matter when I realized they didn't even have the study. There wasn't even a study published yet. I'm guessing in the study when it when and if it is published, the cookie thing isn't going to be in there. No, probably not. It was a statement. It was not. That's not going to be in a scientific article right it's just not no it's it's not going to be in the study not going to be again it was an uh, interesting quote that made a good headline and made a good right right or at least an article well i would say a good article at least an article that lots of people heard about and lots of people clicked on yes and um 
you know, I'm, yeah. I'm like you, I don't want to give them clicks. I don't want to give them, right. but I think yeah, as dietitians, it's important. We know what our, our people, our folks are reading. Yep. And so we can bust that myth and say, hold on, let's talk about that study. Right. Right. You know, I hope that helps. Yeah. I hope that helps yeah. everybody out there to know sensational headlines are usually just that and be careful. And if you ever have any questions, find a dietitian, have them help you. Right evaluate it right yeah seek out the experts that make it not quite so scary yeah because rarely is anything truly like in nutrition holy moly i mean that's that's not right that's not how nutrition works no we would need this repeated a lot even if it was a good study and it turns out to be well done and all that yeah right All right. Well, if you have questions about how to read studies or anything else, we love to have your feedback at dish at secretliferd.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the Secret Life Dietitians, and you can connect with us on our website as well with the secretliferd.com. We will see you next time wherever you get your podcasts.